welcome to the Remote Work Drive podcast with your host, Jessica Malnick. Stay tuned to learn how to manage remote teams that are effective, collaborative, and happy. Hi, everyone. I'm Bronca Ballot. I'm the VP of Marketing here at Glide. We are a no-code tool that allows anyone uh, to build custom software. I am personally all in on remote culture, and I'm originally from Brazil, so I hope you enjoy the accent. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the Remote Work Tribe podcast, Bronca. Can you maybe talk a little bit about the most exciting thing that you are working on these days? Yes. Um, so Glide, we are a no-code tool that allows anyone to build software. Uh, so it's a really exciting tool that allows people uh, like in operations, HR, IT people, uh, no-code agencies to build software that like really helps people accomplish anything they want to. And so we have people building very complex like inventory management systems, drop off and pickup systems. Um, there's a whole sort of uh, types of software that people are building. Some people are building recipe tracking apps and all that kind of stuff. So one of the things that is pretty challenging in a, a very horizontal product like Glide is we face like a very long tail of use cases. It's pretty long and people can build anything on Glide. As a typical data-driven marketer, when I joined Glide, I did surveys, I gathered all of our data, and I was really hoping to find those like, hey, let me just run this analysis and I'm going to find these like five, 10 use cases that represent 80% of the 80% of the business. And we actually found this like pretty long tail. But as I've been into uh, the business for a, a year now, it's been really interesting to start seeing like really these patterns on like a persona and use cases to like really emerge. And one of the things that I'm more particularly focused on this quarter is how do we continue focusing our go-to-market motion into a specific persona uh, to make sure that um, we make the most out of our marketing efforts. So focus is all about what we're doing now in Q3. I love it. I have like six questions from what you just shared right there, um, but I'm going to kind of dovetail a little bit. You're in a popping space with no code and low code tools. But how are you seeing kind of customers or even just internally how you guys are using AI um, within kind of the no-code space? Yes, uh, it's it's a very, both spaces are really hot, no-code and AI. And I think they're kind of like a, uh, there's a lot of a synergy here that can be taken. So one of the things that we see with Glide is uh, people can build all these types of software that, that, that I just said. And so then now there's AI. And I think oftentimes um, some business people are like, uh, hesitant. They're like, I don't know how to start with AI. Or they go to chat GPT, they play a little bit with it. They think it's fun. They think it's cool, but they don't really connect how that can actually add impact to their business, right? One of the things that I love that our CEO and a lot of our community started doing is really thinking about how to integrate AI into your actual use cases. So I'll give an example. So we have one of our customers, uh, they're a pretty large company, uh, professional services. They have a lot of technicians. And historically, these technicians, they used to have a lot of these like binders with manuals, et cetera, that they needed to get access to get the information when they were installing a part or performing maintenance, right? Fast forward, they built a Glide app, put all of these manuals and like PDF versions, and then the technician can just pick the part and then pull on their phone the PDF and they could see all of that without any binders, any heavy material. It's like there, two clicks and they had all the information they needed. Fast forward with AI. 
So what if the technician doesn't need to read all of that entire PDF? What if that PDF, what if um, AI could be sitting on top of all of that information uh, in a structured way? And then the technician is asking a question. Uh, and even with the help of AI, they can actually ask the question via voice and then it can transcribe and then get to the question and then go look at all of this data and give the technician the answer. So this is just like one example that we're seeing of our customers starting to continue their digitalization and getting their people to be more efficient with AI, with no code and AI. So we're really excited uh, about seeing this. We're actually running an AI uh, campaign right now featuring a lot of what our customers are doing, but this is just a one example. There's a ton that we're seeing right now on people taking anything that uh, took like human processing and really adding AI on top of that and really starting to get these like really nice suggestions. So we're finding that to be really exciting. On the internal part, um, just you know, like you know, how how we're using it. We're using it a ton on the marketing side. Uh, we're using it a ton for you know transcription of calls and kind of like getting insights of uh, sales what sales team is doing. Lots for like kickstarting copywriting, uh, social media posts. But kickstarting, we're still in the light. We kickstart with AI and then we do a lot of the like human thinking on top of that. But it's been really fun so far. Yeah, I'd love to hear that. What's maybe been the most surprising use case internally that you use for AI? Yeah. I don't think it's the most surprising, but it's the one that I think is the most exciting. So our CEO started playing with AI like really early and and he's, he's amazing. And one of the things that he did is we actually Glide from the very beginning has had this amazing documentation library. Uh, for how to use Glide. And one of the things that we used to see is people would come to our website and like search something uh, in our documentation and they would get like maybe a document on that particular topic. One of the things that he created very early on, it was this little chat bot that sits on our website and it reads from a lot of different sources. It reads from our documentation. It reads from our website. And people are now answering pretty complex questions, like pretty detailed questions like, hey, does Glide have this, this functionality? Hey, can you do this with Glide? And I can tell you guys that the super funny thing is the first few versions of it, it would give us like really wrong answers. And we're like, oh my God, we can never put this in, in, the, in front of customers. But as he continued like training and debugging all of this, the answers right now are really good. So it's really creating this like massive impact for our customers that before they didn't want to go through all of our documentation and find those detailed answers. It was kind of like cumbersome, but uh, this little chatbot is is really allowing people to get these answers right away. So that's one of my favorite. I don't think it's a surprising one because a lot of bigger companies already do that, but for a company of our size and how early our CEO did this, I think that was very surprising. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And I'm sure it's, saving a whole bunch, it's not only improving customer experience, but it's also just saving people a whole bunch of time, both I'm sure internally of, you know, customer support and externally of customers searching for the stuff. Yes, yes. And, and that's one of the things that I love most about it. I mean, AI is moving so fast and has only moved faster since November 30th or whatever, when ChatGPT was released to the public. How do you, you know, stay on top of things and how do you encourage your marketing team to do the same? Yeah, so we sign up. I think all of us are signed up to newsletters. We attend events. Uh, We're all on social. Obviously, one of our jobs is to stay on social. So we are both doing this for our job, but also consuming content. 
in RCO and our team, we have like an, an incredible technical team. And so they're always like on the forefront of like really learning these technologies. And so one of the things that our CEO has done a few times already in our company that has been really nice is basically breaking down the concept of what AI means and, um, you know, how can we apply that more into our job? So it is obviously like a combination of a lot of these things, but um, it's, it's, it's really fun to kind of like marry this like technical knowledge uh, and then apply to businesses that I think our, our dev team, our technical team brings. And then for us as marketers to stay on top of what people are talking about it, both for other marketing teams, but overall, and kind of like marrying these two, um, that has been like really fun and and um, and challenging because, you know, we always feel like we're behind on, on, on these trends. So it's been really nice to kind of like, it's keeping us on our toes for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. It's really easy to feel behind, to feel like you're falling behind when things in AI are literally changing by the day or by the week. Um, do you have any favorite kind of external resources, newsletters, podcasts, books, blogs that you kind of go to and maybe rely on a little bit more? Yeah. So I, I have many, um, the ones that I've been paying most attention right now, they're more for like marketers. Uh, so the market one newsletter is a really good one by Emily Kramer. Highly suggest that for any B2B marketer, early stage or B2B marketing leader. Uh, it's a really good one. Uh, Exit five is a really good one. Uh, I'm like, they, I think yesterday they had an event around applied AI for marketers. So I think there are many, 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 but uh, these two um, I often read and um, I often, you know, uh, read also inside no code. It's just, it's so many, probably I'll, I'll stop here. Yeah, actually those are really both of those, both the market one and exit five or two that I listened, that I also um, subscribe to as well. And they're both great. Yeah. Um, Shifting gears a little bit, can you talk a little bit about kind of what your marketing team structure looks like at one? Yes, I can. So we are, I'm a really big believer in terms of like having these like blocks of marketing. So first block is growth marketing. So for me, growth marketing is like that engine that is going to basically take all of what you're creating, et cetera, and getting it to customers and really connecting that to like whatever targets you, you want to achieve, whether that's MQL, sales pipeline, or whatever it is. So um, that's, they're usually responsible for email marketing, if we're doing anything around paid, uh, lifecycle marketing, any type of sponsorships uh, that are kind of like more related to distributing content um, and all of our marketing operations as well. So get, that's kind of this growth marketing bucket. Then the other thing for a product-led growth company that is critically important is product marketing. So right, someone who's gonna deeply understand your customer, deeply understand your product and be very clear around what's the company's like positioning and messaging and how we're gonna do that for different personas or different segments, right, of your base. So that's a very critical piece. So growth and then product marketing. And then I have all of these other functions that are kind of like creating content or engaging with the customers. So we have a content marketer, social media person. Um, we have someone handling all of our community and field marketing, right? Which is a big job. One of our segments uh, that is very important for Glide is all of these no-code agencies and, and freelancers. And so we do have someone on the team who's dedicated to that, which is like really exciting. He's kind of like a hybrid of like a community manager, a marketer, and really thinking about how do we build the program for these people. 
And then we have this incredible, uh, we call them the Glide Studio. So this, this is our internal agency. So this is an exceptionally talented group of people. We have a designer, a front-end developer, a video producer. And so those people are basically creating all these amazing assets that people are seeing. So um, in addition to that, I also actually own education. Uh, so all of our documentation and educational content also comes uh, from my team. So um, it is a, a fairly large team for a startup of our size, but I'm super lucky to work with uh, this talented group of people. Yeah, absolutely. You said something like really interesting there, which is you basically built, and I know Glide isn't even, I mean, Glide's a decent sized company, but I don't think you guys have, I could be wrong here, like, you know, you're not like a massive company either. What made you guys go in the direction of creating your own internal agency in-house versus trying to outsource some of that? Yeah, thank you. Uh, so Glide is a design-led uh, company. And so our founder, he is a, he has a computer science degree, but he's also a designer and he led design teams across multiple companies. And he really believes in kind of like design being a critical differentiator of Glide. And so we actually have 77%, sorry, not 70, 7% of our team are actually designers, which is a pretty high percentage if you think about most other companies. Probably maybe compared to Figma, but um, it's it's pretty high. And so design is in is in everything we do, right? It's not only on the product design. And so it starts with that, um, like having this real uh, understanding of our company, of the brand that we want to do, and having that in house. I think it's one of the things that really sets Glide apart from other places. I love contractors and I work with contractors and agencies my entire career and still do, but um, there is a lot of value in having that core piece of the design uh, to be in-house and video production as well. So we're very excited. We, we supplement when needed with external help, but um, having that creative juice uh, really align uh, to the core is very important to us. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and if design is your competitive is like one of your core competitive advantages than trying to uh, keep all that in-house is makes a ton of sense. Following on to what you said there about having an internal or kind of agency or studio um, that you called it, how do you, like if they're reporting directly to you in marketing, what are some of the kind of the KPIs or metrics that you hold them to? Because I can imagine that might be a little bit challenging compared to say a more straightforward role like product marketing or growth marketing. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that uh, this is one thing that, you know, you learn uh, in your career. I think when you're dealing with creative people, you know, the, the KPI is probably, you want to know, they you want them to know that what they are doing is kind of like contributor to a bigger goal. However, that attribution is not it's not a straight line, right? You can't say, hey, do this design and then we're going to get one more MQL or we're going to get one more dollar of revenue. It's 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 impossible to create this. We, we've been pretty good now about doing like quarterly planning here at Glide. And so what we do is we set up our big goals for the quarter and then all the projects that ladder up to these goals. And then what we then do is we, do, we take a very thorough look at like the studio capacity, what they can and cannot do. Uh, and then we go from there. So we're really running them like an agency where they're kind of like gold on completion of projects. But we are also are always looking at like feedback that we're getting from people around the quality of design. We actually often get the, the, the feedback that it's amazing and it's unreal and people don't even believe how a company of our size can create like incredible videos or design or all the things that we do. So um, we're very lucky to have that. But we don't set them on like very hardcore KPIs because it just... It doesn't, it doesn't align to the creative nature of their work. 
Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Um, and you guys produce incredible assets. Do you use, when you're doing your quarterly planning and your annual planning, do you use a goal setting framework like OKRs or EOS? Yeah, we're, I, I can't, I don't, I don't think we're using like OKRs exactly to the, the OKR framework, but it, it is, it is the sort of inspiration that we're, we're kind of like using as a company. Uh, we said we have like our big company health metrics, right? And then what we try to do is every quarter we say, look, what are going to be like our key goals, our key results that we want to drive this quarter. And then uh, we then align on what are going to be our, the initiatives, both from like a product uh, perspective and a go-to-market perspective that we're going to do to achieve that. So yes, so loosely what we use is like OKR. We just don't call it yet OKR, but it's it's basically that. Got it. And how do you kind of think about it personally, like when you're thinking about goal setting and making sure that like, you know, for your own goals as the VP of marketing, as well as for your team, like do you have any kind of like heuristics or general philosophies of how you kind of go about that? Yeah, so I think I, I'm a really big, uh, I'm an engineer by background. I haven't, I didn't say that in the beginning. So, uh, and I have a background more recently in my career in both like sales and marketing. So I, I'm a really big believer in driver trees and funnels. So basically whatever goal you have, I always try to think about like, what are all the inputs that come be before that? And then try to think about goals in that connected way. So for anything that is like a measurable goal, I always try to think about these driver trees or funnels uh, as a way of like really saying, okay, if you want to drive X percent, X percent increase in signups, where is that going to come from? How much of that is going to come from traffic increase and how much of that is going to come from conversion rate optimization? And then from a traffic increase, where do we think that's going to come from? Is it coming from the blog? Is it coming from social? Is it coming from something else? Kind of like, that's how I think about that. I always like to tie numbers as much as possible and not have them at like this individual thing that has no connection to other numbers. That is just a black box on how you can hit that. Um, but then in terms of philosophy of setting the goal, the actual target, I always... <laughs> the bad philosophy, but I'm going to go ahead and share. It's I'm always like, I set a target that at the first, first time that I'm setting that target, I feel like we're not going to hit it. And then I sleep on it. And I'm like, okay, if we do like work hard, and we kind of like work on the right things, we have a chance of hitting it. And then that's usually the target that I put out there. It's not, it's, it's, I, I rarely put a target that I feel comfortable with. And, you know, sometimes I miss, but uh, more often than not, I feel like when you put that target that initially seems unachievable, you end up actually doing much better uh, than you thought. So that's usually my thing. Put it out there. If you scream at first, that's the right target. Yeah, absolutely. Love the idea of setting stretch goals. Yeah. Um, how do you kind of coach and communicate and help your team with setting their goals? Yeah, so we're getting much better in terms of this quarterly planning uh, project and tying things to kind of like this this driver tree that I'm talking about. Uh, and so we, uh, one of the things that we're doing that is much better now is we're trying to stay to with this quarterly planning process. It doesn't mean we don't do things that are off the quarterly plan, but at least from like our big priorities perspective, that's what we try to do. And then what I coach them is in make them really concrete. Right. If this is like a KPI target, like make sure that like you know what when you're gonna hit the KPI by when. If it's a project uh, type of goal, make sure that you have a milestone. Right. Make sure you have a target deadline, and make sure you don't have a, one of the things that I really avoid is having these projects that are like 
three months long, six months long without like any intermediate milestones. I often tell them like, look, always be thinking about like a two week time frame, four week at most, if it's something like really, really big, because you always want to have this like sense of progress. I think one of the things that really kills team morale is when you're when you're thinking about these really big projects that take so long to do uh, and you're just like not seeing that progress. So I think these milestones and KPIs broken down into different timeframes can really help people to with their morale of like, okay, I see, I see how I'm making progress towards that bigger, bigger goal. And then the other thing that um, I'm, I'm doing often with my team is I'm one of these people that I've always been overcommitting myself to like too many things to do. And so we recently did our quarterly planning and with my team and I was like, okay, guys, this is all we want to do. We have to cut some because we're clearly overstretching ourselves. And, and I think that like taking that final step back to really figure out what are the true priorities helps a ton uh, with like morale and making sure that people have that space to say, look, I want to do that, but maybe I won't have bandwidth this quarter. It's been a constant learn learning process, but um, I think we're improving every day. Yeah, absolutely. Shifting gears a little bit, how do you think about like you know how often are you guys communicating asynchronously versus synchronously, and and when do you kind of default default to one versus the other? Yeah, uh, that's awesome. So we actually are, we're a fully remote company, uh, very distributed from like a geo perspective. So we have folks really across the globe, across many time zones. And as I imagine, a lot of the listeners here are into the remote culture and distributed work. So I always feel like there's uh, two ways to work with distributed teams. There is the 48 by 48 model or the 12 by 12. So the 48 by 48 is like, you ask a question and then the person is asleep and then they answer that question the next day and then you then take action the following day, right? So like everything is like a two-day cycle because you're kind of like not leveraging the whole concept of distributed. If you actually do your job well, you have the right tools, you have the right communication, the right expectations, you actually can do things a lot faster because you then get all of your work done. It's very well explained, very well communicated. And then by the time the person wakes up, they know what they need to work on. Um, and we always try to set up some overlap time with our teams. That tends to be, I'm in Pacific time in the US. And so that tends to be my early morning, which is like, I have more overlap with like Europeans and other folks on the team. So um, the, having a little bit of that overlap every day allows us to, whenever we need some kind of like synchronous type of work, to have enough hours that we can do those checks. Um, so that's one thing that really helps. Um, making sure that you have the right tool, project management tool, whatever, uh, to do that. Making sure that you're not overly relying on Slack, uh, that you just have to go through 50 million Slack conversations to figure out the outcome of a decision. The, the, the other thing is making sure that you have some hours in the day to do that like synchronous work. Uh, and then the, the final thing is like stay light in really big meetings. Uh, I actually do just two, uh, one very short meeting with my entire team on Monday. And then another one on Thursday that is more dedicated to brainstorming, reviews, that kind of stuff. But leave people, especially in those like synchronous hours that everyone can work together, don't block them with meetings from the beginning to end because then they don't have time for that quick five minute sync that can just like unblock them for a whole day. And the final thing, not a plug, I'm not affiliated, but use Loom. If you're not using Loom yet, uh, you should. It saves me so many meetings and so many confusing Slack messages. So if you're not using Loom, please start today. Yeah, it blows my mind how many team, how many individuals and how many teams are still not using 
screen casting tools I use Loom pretty much daily myself as well. Um, I'm not affiliated, I promise. Yeah, neither am I. Uh, if Loom wants to sponsor this podcast at some point, hit me up, but totally not affiliated, been using it for years. When it comes to setting that time where you guys can chat synchronously, how much time do you kind of, do you have like official policies about that? And what does that actually look like in that time period? We haven't, we haven't set that like as a very standard, like as a very formal policy, but uh, it kind of like we, we gravitated towards like this early morning Pacific time. I want to say maybe from like 8 a.m. to like 10, 11 a.m. Pacific time, probably 7 a.m. Pacific time. Most of the company is, is up and working. And so that tends to be the like really good collaboration time. And it doesn't mean that like we don't have everyone else working the rest of the day. We do, but uh, that tends to be like our prime time. So I always like my early morning, I wake up, I wake up pretty early and then I get ready. Uh, and then I start like all this collaboration. Often I start between seven, seven thirty, and then I go until like 11. It's like, boom, it goes by really fast because either it's like a quick meeting, a quick chat. Um, so it's a lot of like really nice conversations. Then I, I can start having like a, a different thing, but it's kind of like a really nice boost of energy to to start your day with that. I know for some people is that their end of the day, so it might not be as nice, but at least for me, it's really nice. But no formal policy, but we align that these are kind of like our four-ish hours. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, having a, you know, I feel like when you work remotely and lead a team remotely, you have to have that really strong written communication culture, which it sounds like you guys have at Glide in space. Are there things like when you're you know, hiring new marketers to join your team. Are there things that you look for or task for to make sure that someone can work well in a remote first environment? I think most people right now have had the remote culture obligation because of COVID, right? Because of the pandemic, Uh, but not everyone likes it or is their preferred method. So I do think that as I'm kind of like have this team, I think having someone that has like worked remotely and, and, wants to continue doing that. I think that's one, like a, a pre-requirement. I'm all in on remote work, right? I, I'm lucky that I worked at a company, started working at a company seven years ago that was very remote friendly, distributed. And so for me, when the pandemic hit, I was very lucky because my entire team was already distributed. So it was pretty easy to just adjust to the pandemic life from that perspective. But I think that like knowing someone that wants to do that type of work is the first thing. And then the second thing is, you really gotta with remote you gotta be a little more organized and more willing to put things in writing or in looms because that's that's what it all hinges on right if you don't have like some kind of structure or some kind of culture of like putting things in writing it gets really hard for people to do their job because it all depends on oh let's go have a meeting with someone what if someone is asleep so i think that like these are things that are very important like you want to do the remote work you are somewhat organized and you're comfortable putting things in writing and communicating asynchronously but we with all that said uh we are a company that we are fully remote, but we really believe in in-person getting together. So we often do company offsites. I actually just came back from one. We do an annual trip where the entire company comes together. And then we try to do at least another time a year that teams come together. And we often do these things that are really awesome that are called three-letter weeks, where we get three people together uh, and they go work on a project for one week together live. And we often see explosive kind of like 
progress coming from these weeks because you get people to be really focused on one thing in that time. So we we love the mi mixing the remote and then the live thing, but um, you know, remote all the way. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like anyone who's been working remotely for a while, myself included in there, it's like there's so much magic that does happen in person and you do need to sprinkle that in. It doesn't need to be every single day, but like a few times a year, like, you know, a few times a year where if you can meet up with part of your team or your entire company, that does make a big difference. Can you talk a little bit more about this kind of three-person, three-day in-person retreat? That yeah. sounds really interesting. I've never actually heard that done before. Yeah, it is. It is incredible. Uh, me neither, by the way, before I joined Glide. Uh, but uh, often what they started doing is our, our, our technical team, they used to basically come up with like maybe two engineers and one designer. And there was a specific customer feedback or feature that they wanted to work on that was kind of like something that required like more exploration or more deep thinking or something like that. And so they started, I think, more kind of like informally. They kind of like went to an Airbnb uh, for one week and they basically saw this massive progress in like one week and they did it again and they did it again. And, and it kind of like it became a thing here at Glide where we call these the three-letter weeks. It's a three-letter week because it's like, it's usually three people. We don't believe these can be like really big, but also not too small. You have to have a, like a minimum number of people that can make all the decisions together and have all the resources. So we believe that's probably a minimum of three, but we also don't want seven-letter weeks, right? Because it's probably too many people and you don't move as fast. So um, that's where it came from. And so it started more like product and engineering. And uh, we, we've done these for marketing and product as well. And, and they are fantastic. Absolutely. That sounds like a, such a cool initiative. I could talk about this for a while, but I also want to be cognizant of time. And I have a couple of lightning round questions that I wanted to ask you. Go for it. If you could have coffee with any celebrity, who would you choose and why? Obama. He's the my really big fan. Just everything he's done, his his life story, and uh, just how smart he is. I probably would just ask him a bunch of like advice. Um, but um, I read one of his biographies, and I'm a really big fan. I love it. On the topic of books, uh, what's one book that you recommend all kind of VPs of marketing or CMOs should read? It's probably, well, I'm, I'm going to recommend this one, not for like a VP of marketing or CMO, but for like a marketer that is aspiring to be a VP of marketing and CMO. It, there's a book that I read in business school called uh, what, what Got You Here Won't Take You There. Um, and this is a really good book for someone who is a high performing individual contributor and how you're making that transition from like an individual contributor into a manager role. So I highly recommend this book. It's not about marketing itself, but it's really about that transition from being someone who really knows what you're doing, but how do you start leading teams and, and getting that success? And I often see a lot of people who are amazing marketers, but being capped on their professional development because of they're not getting that running a team takes a little bit of a different approach. So I highly suggest this one uh, for people who are aspiring VPs of marketing and CMOs. Um, this might open a can of worms, but what was your transition like from individual contributor to marketing leadership? So that's very funny. It didn't happen. So <laughs> um, my, my um, I have a, a, a little slightly unusual path for a VP of marketing. So 
as I said, I'm a mark uh, engineer by background. I then worked in management consulting and private equity. And in all these jobs, you're kind of like an individual contributor, just working directly with your clients. Um, and then uh, out of that, I then moved to technology. And then I was in sales operations and very quickly just had a team of people that were doing sales strategy and operations. And so my jump to marketing, I was already like a manager. And then I, I jumped into managing a growth marketing team at Zenefits. And so I was actually never an individual contributor in marketer in marketing. So I can't really speak to that. But um, it was, I have to say that moving from that type of job that it was all about me, everything depended on me and how good and smart and how hard, hard I worked to then having a team, it was not an easy transition. Um, I think it comes with, you know, lots of feelings around, I know better. Um, so yeah, I will, I'll stop because I know this is the lightning round. No, I mean, it's, I, like I said, I knew I was going to open up a can of worms. So <laughs> uh, it's all good. And I'm actually going to lean into this a little bit more and ask, what, how did you get past those feelings and kind of this initial kind of insecurity, maybe insecurities around, okay, like, I think I can do this better than my, than, you know, what my, one of my direct reports is doing. Were there like kind of like things that you did or like, you know, coaching or things like that, that helped you get past that? Yes. Um, I actually, I personally do. Um, I have a, an executive coach that I've been working with for, this is going to make me sound really old, but I've been working with her for 15 years now. Um, and I don't work with her every week, but I work with her on like times of my career. And I do remember that my transition into a first time kind of like manager was was one that I worked with her because it was this giving up control, but still wanting to be responsible and accountable for the results of my team. And so my first tendency, this is going to be hopefully funny to some people. When I was a first time manager, every time before someone made a mistake on my team, I would go and like grab the ball and go fix it because I didn't want anyone on my team to ever make any mistakes. Because I felt like if they made a mistake, that would reflect that poorly on me and my performance. And so I was then like catching all these balls and like insane and trying to be aware of what everyone was doing at all times. It was probably a really bad experience if you were working for me. And then what I quickly realized is that, you know, I was basically not allowing them to learn right? Because they weren't making their mistakes and I was there to catch everything. And so I started like very slowly learning like where I should let them make mistakes or like run with something, even if it wasn't exactly what I wanted or how I would have done it. But slowly, I, I have to say it was not overnight. It was a lot of work to come to terms, but it, it's kind of like there's a moment as a manager where you switch that pivot that like, it's about them succeeding that then starts, everything starts making sense for you. And then you start people like, maybe the first campaign they do is not great, but then the second is much better. And then you're like, yes, you know, I knew that there was a reason for them to do this. Or maybe the first survey they did, it was not great. And then the second was a lot better. So um, lots of like learning. I do think that book that I recommended really helps, but um, yeah, that's, that's, a, there's a lot of like, understanding what you do and I'm, I'm if you if you can afford and I know there are services these days that they allow you to do executive coaching in like smaller groups professional groups um if your budget affords I highly recommend that from time to time because it did help me a lot in my career yeah absolutely I'm also a gigantic fan of coaching to kind of get past roadblocks yeah. it's been amazing chatting with you on the remote work podcast where can listeners find you online 
Well, you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn all the time. Uh, Bronca Ballad. I'm probably faster to, to reply on LinkedIn than any other channel. So just find me there. And then if not, just go visit our website too, gladapps.com. Awesome. Thank you again for coming on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Remote Work Drive podcast. Please visit our site, theremoteworkdrive.com, to learn more about remote work trends and insights.